Blog Talk Radio. Hello, it's uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, noon Central Time, and this is Michael, and I'm doing what I think will be my last show in a series of episodes around Sherm 18 and the Blog Squad. Our guest today is Matt Stalock. Matt, welcome to Drive Through. How are you doing today? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. I'm uh, trying to get ready to head out to Chicago in a few days and get some other stuff out of the way. Let me let me do a word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world of Matt Stock. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Clear Company. Clear Company is the world's fastest growing, growing talent management platform, allowing companies to easily hire, retain, and engage A players. Visit clearcompany.com to sign up for a free demo, and as always, we thank them for their sponsorship. So, so Matt, uh, you're well known in the in the in the HR world and in the in the world of Sherm. You have, you have a lot going on, but for those folks that may may not know you, that listen to the show on a podcast or a download someday, t- tell us about Matt Stalick and what, and what you do. I am Matt Stalick. I'm an associate professor of business administration at St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. It's a small liberal arts college of about 2,000 to 2,200 students in a sort of a suburb of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I can literally look out my window and see Lambeau Field in the distance. Um, (laughs) I teach mostly undergraduates in one master's class. Uh, I'm primarily the HR educator for the college, and so I'll I'll cover from intro to medium to advanced HR classes. I serve as the advisor for the St. Norbert College student chapter. I have also been active at the local, state, and regional SHRM level. I'm currently the co-chair for the 2018 Wisconsin State SHRM Conference, uh, but I've I've been president of the Green Bay SHRM chapter as well. How did you, um, how did you wind up in, in HR as, a, as an, an educator? As an educator, I always knew I, my dad was a professor. I always wanted to go into academia as a career early on uh, i saw my one of the reasons was and it's an odd thing to say but my dad was home when i was a child i always came home my my dad was there he was always there to take me to school or be there as i headed off to school so that seemed like it would be mm-hmm. a great job to have growing up i did my undergraduate in economics and urban policy at michigan state um I got sort of interested in gerontology as a subject when I was at Michigan State, and I understood demographics, and I saw the workforce was getting older. I thought there'd be a lot of job security, and there'd be a good match between that and academia. When I went on to my master's at Brandeis University, uh, along with taking a class on aging and economics, I took a two-semester course on employee benefits, and that really got my interest into HR going. Uh, For my master's thesis, I worked at the Polaroid Corporation in in Massachusetts and did a study of their EAP programs, and so that naturally led to getting my Ph.D. in HR. Hmm. And And you got your Ph.D. at Brandeis as well or somewhere else? I got my Ph.D. at the Labor and... uh, 
Industrial Relations, now Labor and Employment Relations School at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Illinois. Okay. Yep. So, so you were you you were all over. I, uh, I I did my master's in labor and industrial relations, which I don't think anyone uses that terminology anymore. I know no. the school doesn't at at Michigan State. So we sort of we sort of share a, a tie there. And I, I lived in yep. East Lansing, as did you, I believe. Yeah. So that that's yep. uh, um, yes, it's uh, and and you're. Uh, Michigan State's my second favorite football team, and uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we won't go too much into rivalries. So, sure. um, so this is a silly question. So you can see Lambeau Field, and you, yes. I believe, are on a list because you give updates periodically. Uh, you're on a list to get season tickets, right? And <laughs> yeah. So, so Lambeau, like when I moved to Green Bay, uh. The ticket office, anyone, whether you live in Green Bay or Los Angeles, California, or Boise, Idaho, you can go to the ticket office in Green Bay and be put and apply for Packers season tickets. And when I applied back in 2002, when I moved to Green Bay, I was around 75,000. Since that time, they've expanded the stadium by about 8,000 seats, um, and the rising cost of tickets and whatever else you want to say about the NFL, I'm now down to about forty nine, forty eight thousand on the waiting list. The so interesting part, you, though, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say you'll be able to bequeath your waiting your spot on the, your waiting list to your children. It sounds like it's going to be a while yeah, before so, you get there. Sometime in two thousand three hundred and forty seven, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. That's what you're going to say. Yeah, the interesting part though is once you're in Green Bay, it's such a small community in a a a sense that if you need to find tickets to a game, there are enough people in the area that you know that says, "All right, I know someone who might have tickets available." And for for the cost of a season uh, of a ticket, you usually can find reasonably priced tickets once you're here. So even though I'm not I don't own season tickets. It's not hard getting Packer tickets one way or the other. Okay. And the Packers are they're still are they still like public at least partially owned by the stock it, uh, traded as shareholder team as opposed it's to it's one. not technically traded. You can buy stock. They it's totally owned by the Green Bay Packers. And so it's but community <laughs> owned versus trading on the New York Stock Exchange or anything like that. So literally, they can't move the the. They'd have to sell all these, I think, uh, sort of pay us back if they decide to move. And so, unlike any other city, it's doubtful unless the NFL moves that Green Bay would ever lose the Packers. Interesting, interesting model, and I guess you know, interesting way to make the community, especially one like Green Bay. I've never been there, close as I've been to Milwaukee, but you know, kind of a standalone city up there in the corner of Wisconsin, and you know, really, sure. really ties it into that team and the identity. the The best experience I have of the Green Bay uh, fandom is when I worked in in I worked in uh, Bayport, Minnesota. I didn't live there, but I worked for Anderson uh, Windows, and there was a huge as as you. I understand very well Vikings yep. Greek Packers rivalry and the, a lot of folks that worked in in at Anderson lived in Wisconsin so the the 
anytime you paid a visit to the mothership of the corporate office there on a on a football weekend or an upcoming game where whether it was Packers or you know whether it was in Minneapolis or in Green Bay it was uh, it was a full on uh, kind of like going to a Michigan Michigan State game I guess it was absolutely it was pretty cool so yeah so let's stick with sports for a second I'm not really sure where you guys are, are whether you guys are still doing this actively or not but you were you and some uh, a number of uh, friends Chris Dunn and some others came out a while ago where you guys published, uh, was it the seven-man rotation? Is that the right uh, The eight-man right rotation. Eight called man the eight-man rotation. And, and we're still, we've been texting all day. Uh, it's sort of, we haven't done a, a formal book in a while. But essentially back in 2011, Chris Dunn at the HR Capitalist, Tim Sackett, uh, at the Tim Sackett Project, who just came out with the Talent Fix, a very good read mm-hmm. if you're in HR. Uh, Steve Bose, who's the chair of the HR Technology Conference, and 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 Lance Hahn, who now works for the Star Conspiracy, all were writing about the intersection of HR and sports and talent. And we thought, all right, let's take all these posts together and sort of put it into a one-size-fits-all document and we did it for about five or six seasons just here and but i've not blogged as much lance has sort of stopped blogging as well chris steve and and tim are still blogging heavily and they'll still write a lot about sports but it was a good way to show that a lot of the issues that are going on in hr are best captured in what is going on in the nba or or the nfl and there are lessons that HR individuals can learn from seeing how sports handle conflict and employee relations and compensation and training issues. Mm-hmm. And so it was a fun kind of diversion. We're all going to the NBA Summer League in July in Las Vegas, and and that'll be fun. Yeah, it, it's 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 interesting how those kind of sub communities within the HR. You know, I'm active. You know, in the it's all unofficial except for I guess a Facebook group, but the HR Puckheads group. So you know, lots of hockey fans and Jay Coons, you know, a number of others. Not so much blogging, but just you know, kind of just kind of talking around it. But I had Josh Rock on on a couple weeks back, and it was heading. We were heading into the fifth Stanley Cup Finals, and he was talking about different encounters he's had with. Uh, players on the, the Washington Capitals and the Stanley Cup tradition. It, it, it's just it's just fun. It kind of ties us together in a different way than just going to Sherm or just hanging out at uh hanging out at a conference. Um let, let's talk about your blog for a minute. I was I was looking I looked at your blog today and um just just to remind myself and I was uh, I was fascinated that it's still on Blogspot because that's where I started. Um so how sure. long have you been blogging and um what what why did, is that Why'd you stick with the traditional spot and not go to like WordPress or something like that? I started in, I believe, 2009 ish, 2010. I don't remember my first blog post. I'm sure I can go look it up. Uh, when I met Lori Rudiman in 2009 at the Sherm Conference in New Orleans, when it was mm-hmm. all starting to get off, you know, I was commenting a lot on her blog, and she said, oh, you really should start your own. So I started doing it then. I just started it on Blogspot because it was convenient and easy to use, and I just never took the time, energy, or resources to say, all right, do I really want to have to go and spend a day or two 
transferring all 250 plus blogs to a new site and make sure all the links and hyperlinks work. And I just said, if it's not broken, just leave it as is. And so I, I've maintained yeah. using it on that site. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it, it, it's. I did. It, it, yeah, I still have. The, I still have a bunch of posts on Blogspot, but I left. I let the the humanracehorses.com, my old blog, when I switched over to Michael Vanderbilt, I didn't bring all those posts over, and I let the um, like, like like another person, Charlie Judy with HR Fishbowl. I let my domain expire unintentionally, and all, and I think I lost like. 900 posts like it was like oh. five years worth of work <laughs> oh. they're all gone and, yeah, i suppose that there, there's probably a file somewhere i could pull but uh it was just it, yeah anyway it just it all vanished into the into the cloud literally um so that sort of well, happened with I, I, uh, all the talent advisor posts that a number of us did for career builder they they transitioned on and all those two years of posts that Jennifer McClure and, and Steve Brown and I and others, Tim Sackett, did for them sort of disappeared as well. I may just have really? to republish yeah. them on my blog. They're still good, good, good yeah. posts. Uh, and I haven't posted in a while, yeah. so maybe just, you know, all right, here's something from the archive. <laughs> pull, 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 an, pull an archival. Yeah, no, that, that, that yep. always works. Re- repurposing content is a good thing. Um Yep. From a from a Sherm blogger perspective, um, you've been on the on the on the blog squad or whatever they call it, the social media team for a number of years, um, and I, I guess you're doing that again this year. So um, yep. before we before we get into your plan, I guess um, I guess one of the, this is one other thing. So like you, so I go, I'm going back to your education and blogging and tying it together. In years past, I've seen where you shared where you shared with your students some work that some of us bloggers had done. You, you pulled blog, blog posts and asked them, made that part of your reading for your class, if, yes. I, if I remember correctly. Um, do you still do that, or is it, is it something oh, absolutely. that was more? So, um, so, so along with getting involved in social media in 2008, 2009, and doing all that, part of the reason I got involved is – I had found that a lot of the textbooks were years behind what was actually being discussed by HR professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, whether it be big data four or five years ago, employee engagements hardly talked about in a HR textbook. If you pick up pick up a standard HR textbook, the amount devoted to say something as huge as HR technology is is hardly touched upon. So. Mm-hmm. Getting involved with the bloggers and, and getting all those posts is really to help my students, since we're primarily a teaching versus a research institution, is I want my students to be ready when they go to interviews and when they graduate and talk with employers that they're on the cutting edge of what HR professionals that are going on at other places are talking about. So literally my senior capstone course is made up of nothing but blog posts from a variety of of many of the people who we've already talked about on this uh, session that will be in attendance at SHRM so that they're ready to go. So, you know, they get upset because it's often 500. I have 500 citations often in there. I think I had 500 plus (laughs) posts that they had to read. I mean, they're not long posts. 
Right. These are not 30-page documents that they have to put together. It's just a lot of information because I want my students to be as ready to be in the real world as possible. I, I think, and so this, this is just me talking off the top sure. of my head for a second. But um, so I think sometimes, like I know about blogging. I sometimes it seems really cool, uh, you know, and, and probably it was a. a years ago it seemed a lot cooler and it seemed a lot more I, I was more excited about it and then there are times when you sort of say well I'm just it's just my blog I write for myself and you, you sort of at least I take a self-deprecating approach mm-hmm. to blogging but I think I think that, that you do you, you know you saying that I mean I'm, you know yeah and yes it allows us to rant and put opinions out and you know share whatever's on our on our mind you know for having a meltdown that day or whatever but but I guess the the point that's really important, it, it, and it, you would, you'll see it somewhat at Sherm. I mean, a lot of the posts that are going up in advance of Sherm are are fun and intended to be that. But but this show or your blog or Lori Rudiman's or Chris Dunn, all of them really do contain um, good work re- relevant to the industry sure. and really many of the and, and the thought leader pin you know that people hang on themselves. I don't I don't love that, but there really are some. There are there are good people doing good work and sharing it with the community, and I and I don't know that it's the resources as appreciated as it should be. And I guess I wonder what you, it sounds like you you, have, you as a as an educator you've tried you recognize the value far beyond what some of us may and and had put it to use to help students. I think that's really commendable. So whatever. That's yeah, not a question, I don't know what comments I guess. There are student sessions at SHRM. Sunday morning is a student and young professional session, which I'll be missing for the first time due to Father's Day. Um, mm-hmm. But it's always interesting to hear what my peers are doing at other institutions. Most likely uh, the, the, the advisors who serve as professors at their respective campuses who are there on Sunday are attending SHRM to try to be as close to the cutting edge as possible and getting that information to the students. I mean, they're, attending SHRM is not cheap for for any attendee, let alone students willing to commit uh, three nights plus in a hotel to travel to Chicago. They're sacrificing Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday work for a student who's trying to pay for school. That's a huge expense. They do fundraising and our hope is that these are the HR leaders of tomorrow that SHRM should be embracing as much as possible. And so the more that we can get the information and having the blog squad there and all these posts that students can read about, the better when they take on the role post-college, they're going to be as informed and ready to lead as possible. So, so with the student student chapters, um, I think I think one of your former students, uh, Callie Zippel, is that is Callie that Zippel? Term? She is now a field uh, part of the field member team for membership. So she's sort of a liaison between Sherm and a number of professional chapters and students and young professionals in the Midwest, given that's where she's located. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so. so. It's great to see the transformation from I found a message from her back in 2009 saying, you know, she was a student at a study abroad in Australia coming back and was really excited to take over the role as student chapter president. 
and seeing, you know, I see my future in Sherm and HR, and then nine years later, suddenly now actually working at Sherm headquarters and, and helping to advance what Sherm needs to do to the various HR professionals in our region. Um, so Steve Brown, you mentioned him earlier, and, and um, yeah. His, is on the board now for a couple of years. That was exciting, I think, to you know to actually yes. feel like you knew a board member, um, somebody that was one of us, so to speak. Um, I knew other board members, but I didn't always feel like they were one of me. Um, that's not a knock. It's just I didn't have close relationships. They were you know kind of in passing. Um, Johnny Taylor is now in. Um, just kind of curious, you know, from your from your your end of the road. In Wisconsin, how, how do you view how Sherm's done the last couple of years, and are they headed in the right direction? And do you see any changes coming under Johnny? I don't know how well you know him or how tightly you're tied in with that group, but just kind of I remember what your take he, is I remember Wisconsin. his involvement, and I met him at one of the Sherm leadership. Now I think it's called the Volunteer Summit, Volunteer mm-hmm. Leader Summit that they have every November, and he was involved with Sherm prior, and then he went off to do his other work, and then came back. Um. So I think he has the knowledge and, and connection to the community that that is worthwhile. So I hope that he takes this. Um, I find the the connection that he's doing with the Trump administration interesting. Uh, that can be controversial, given the polarization that exists in the organization. There are many that are unhappy with that decision. Um, it's a tough balance for Sherm, just in a general sense, is that there's such a wide range of experience, and from young students who are entering the profession to seasoned 25-year vets in very strategic positions, and and Sherm, as as long as I've known it, has tried to find some sort of balance in trying to be a one-size-fits-all organization. Mm-hmm. And so and, it'll and, be interesting to see where moving, he takes it. Yeah, and now moving, you know, over the last few years, even moving globally with China, and sure. not China Gorman, but China and uh, yes. India, India and others. Um, yeah, very, uh, very, and California with two uh, government affairs offices. I mean, it just some really different things. Um, so on on the on the on the uh, Sherm eighteen experience, let's go there. We have about seven seven minutes, seven and a half minutes yeah. left. So you're coming in on Sunday. Um, it's not your first rodeo, as they say. Um, what what are your plans, and who have you talked to thus far for the you know for the, kind of the lead up to the to the conference? This will be my eighteenth straight Sherm conference. So I'm I'm, I'm now eligible to vote. Um, well, wow. my attendances. So it's it's a much different experience going uh, for the 18th time. My enthusiasm enthusiasm is a little less than some others. It's sort of a been there, done that. But I'm excited for one to see how much passion many of the newer bloggers. I'm not going to say younger, but newer mm-hmm. bloggers um, are in terms of their excitement, getting ready for the conference. You can see it on Twitter. With the Sherm 18, the Mary Kaler's done a fantastic job with the blog posts. There's something like 180 different posts, so a lot of people are putting in the time, energy, and effort to get uh, everyone excited about what's going to happen in Chicago beginning on Sunday. So that's kind of exciting to see. 
In terms of my own plan, I'm much less of a planner now than I used to be. Um, I, I'm more now, let's play it by ear. I'll see what the session is and, and make my decision at a certain time. I may suddenly say there may be a spinoff or a conversation that we're having in the blogger lounge that said, oh, I was going to go to this session, but this might be more interesting for me to attend. Right. So I also have a different perspective being an educator versus someone who's going on behalf of their company and who might need to visit a vendor to purchase something for their organization, which is an obligation I do not have. So that gives me right. a little more freedom to be esoteric in my response more dilettantish in what I want to go see than someone who might suddenly say, all right, we're sending you there. We're paying for your, your flight and your hotel. What are you going to bring back for us beyond a koozie from the uh, one of the vendors? Right. <laughs> no, no swag. So, um, right. <laughs> it, it, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out so that we get it out of the way. You, you sure. have a particular animosity against one piece of equipment going with anyone to the, to the Sherm uh, conference. You want to, you want to air the grievances sure. as you said. <laughs> so about eight or nine, again, early on in the blog, one of my big pet peeves at the annual conference is people who bring a roller bag to stuff goodies in at the at the exhibit hall. And it's not so much that I have a problem with them gathering the information or picking up all that stuff. It's And I understand that some people have health issues that they need to, you know, they, their backs hurt or they can't, it hurts them to carry all that stuff. The issue becomes suddenly we have 15,000 people in attendance. Suddenly you suddenly have 9,000 deciding to go at the exhibit hall at once. Space is rather tight. And so people bring these roller bags in there and are unaware of the impact that it has on others when walking around. So I've seen people almost trip numerous times because someone wasn't paying attention to their bag. And so I always call it the scourge of the exhibit hall because it can <laughs> pose a serious injury risk to others in attendance. If people were more, the same goes for backpacks. Some people use have heavy backpacks and they turn and hit people in the head, much like you go down an airline aisle. Yep. People aren't often aware where they're going. It's the same sort of thing. Suddenly with a roller bag, instead of taking up one space, you're really taking up two spaces. And that can cause problems when you have these smaller aisles. There's a lot of people compressed in one small area, and you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Definitely. <laughs> Well, I uh, I not only don't bring a roller bag, I've elected to only pick up really cool swag that I just can't leave. So last term, I came home with a universal power plug uh, for global traveling, and that was the, that was the only thing I picked up from from the shop or from the exhibit, exhibit all other than a few flyers. But anyway, that's we got right. About These days, minutes. go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say we got about three minutes left. Go ahead. I was just going to say, no, the only thing I now get is with two five-year-olds, I have twins, uh, chip clips become my primary, and, and squeeze balls <laughs> for the kids become my primary grabbing things. I have 250 HR t-shirts at this point in my career, along with 18, eight, you know, 50 HR bags from various conferences, so those things I don't need to bring back anymore. 
no more t-shirts just yeah it's kind of like just leave them in your leave them in the room or don't take them yep. in the first place so exactly. um in the, in the in the last couple of minutes uh, i know you always plan your uh restaurant visits around the conference so i, I without i don't know if you want to share like all your stops but are there any uh any places you're looking especially forward to hitting while you're in chicago uh, there's a burger place I might be going to when I get to Chicago called Owen and Engine that has a very good burger that's on the north side of Chicago. Uh, some of the past places for burgers that I've hit include in Northwestern, which is a little distance from the, the center, but a place called Edzo's Burger Shop, uh, sort of west of the city. The, the sort of the acclaimed couple places are called Kuma's Corner where they have a very much heavy metal theme to it, but their burgers are phenomenal. And O'Cheval, A-U-C-H-E-V-A-L, all have very excellent burgers. There's also a good okay. barbecue place called Smoke, S-M-O-Q-U-E. Those are different than some of the other tips we got, which typically involve pizza and hot dogs and some of the other classic yep. Chicago food. Um, so pentatonics. Is that is that this year's Hall and Oates, or are you a fan? I don't know their music personally. I'm not going to be attending. I, I haven't seen a show since 2009 with Cheryl Crow. I'm happy for people to enjoy it. The only reason I joke about Hall and Oates isn't so much their music; it's that Sherm put it on twice in five years. That there are so <laughs> many acts that they could have chosen. Amazon's filled, Apple Music's filled, Spotify's filled with tons of artists who would love the exposure. Why use the same group twice in five years? So I'm happy and, to have yep, Pentatonix. Yep. A lot of people like their music. I'm happy for them. Awesome. Well, I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being on Drive Through today and helping me bring Thanks the, uh, the Sherman 18 blog team episodes to an end. So. Take care of driving down. Enjoy Father's Day, and I will talk to you on Sunday sometime. Thanks, Matt. See you later.